This is your host, Matt Sheeks, and you're listening to Northwest Race Report. Just going to bust out a quick, unedited, solo version of Northwest Race Report here, talk about something that uh, a lot of people have been uh, asking me about throughout um, some of my coaching sessions. Um, I've been trying to get, uh, bugging a couple people to be on the show, Jack Tolan, uh, a triathlete from... uh, Kirkland, Washington, and Andrew Fast, a triathlete from Woodenville, currently residing in New Hampshire and going to physical therapy school out there. Um, So should have them on the program pretty soon. Today, I wanted to talk about bike handling skills. And this is something where pretty much nearly all of the athletes that I coach have asked about at one point and had me uh, take them out to to go learn bike handling skills. So it's obviously something that people um, wonder about quite a bit. It's probably one of the top things beyond just getting a training program that people want to know about uh, that are either bike racing or they're triathletes. Um, So bike handling skills 101 and maybe a little bit of 201 today. Um, So you know, out on out on group rides, what I noticed a lot, uh, probably one of the top things that you want to avoid uh, with your descending skills is just uh, stopping pedaling too soon. And so I see a lot of people, even where it's not a sketchy descent, it's just like a slight downhill, they'll be, uh, they'll just stop pedaling for no apparent reason, even though they've got a ton of gear left. Um, you know, it's totally safe. The bike is handling fine. Uh, they just stop pedaling for no apparent reason. And so uh, for me with a road racing and and track racing background, uh, that's a big no-no. Like you want to keep pedaling until you're totally out of gear or um, until the the turn is going to be so sharp that you have to, you know, put a pedal down. So um, then coasting is appropriate, but, you know, you're sacrificing speed. And I think at a lot of these higher speeds where you're, practically geared out like you're not actually putting down that much power so it's not really going to cost you a lot of effort to keep pedaling and you know your your muscles are going to tie up if you if you stop pedaling for too long so that would be the top thing that i've noticed and um you know for that we're talking like club like recreational cyclists are usually doing that and it's 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 just a little bit uh it frustrates me we'll just put it that way (laughs) so so step number one is keep pedaling if at all possible uh, the second thing um, with your your cornering or descending skills would be to break before the turn, and so this is something that you might not understand from uh, driving a vehicle. You know, you can kind of get off uh, with braking in a turn, but uh, that's that's going to cause um, uh, the the forces on your wheel. Um, it's actually going to be detrimental for you to run the brakes during a corner. So what you want to do is slow down to an appropriate speed you know um, you still want to be going as fast as you can to where you think you can still make the corner safely but uh you do want to break before the turn and then hit the turn with the brakes off so that would be uh descending skill or cornering skill number two um the third thing would be to go from the outside to the inside of the road and again if you're coming from a background where you you just drive on the roads you don't really have that option because the car is just about as wide as the lane um on a bike you should use the entire lane by all means and what you're doing is you're just making the corner less severe uh less steep of an angle and so if you go from you know the outside uh, of the road kind of 
hit the apex of the turn somewhere in the middle. Um, I like to hit it just a little bit, a little bit late if possible, so I can kind of see the exit of the turn, um, especially if I've never done it before. Uh, yeah, but if you do go from the outside, uh, outside of the the lane to the inside, hit the hit the apex of the corner, and then come back outside, you know, you're just gonna decrease the severity of the turn. It's just gonna be that much more safe. Um, fourth thing, and this is this should be uh, included in kind of descending or cornering 101, is to keep your outside pedal down. And so if you're if you're looking at the bike horizontally. Uh, you know, you don't want uh, you don't want your inside pedal down. You would want uh, you want your outside pedal down. So that'd be six o'clock, and you want your uh, inside pedal up. So that would be twelve o'clock. So um, from that position, you're going to get a lot of stability, and then you're also going to decrease. Uh, well, the possibility is almost nil that you would dig a pedal. So if you corner and you always have, let's say the right pedal is always down then on a right hand turn you could you could dig the pedal so the pedal could come in contact with the ground and that could cause you to fall um, so you definitely want to be descending outside pedal down that just gives you a ton of stability um, prevents you from digging a pedal now there is the possibility to pedal through a corner and you know that's kind of a judgment call on your own uh, depending on how fast it is uh, depending on how sharp the curve is so, um, you know, obviously if you can pedal, pedal through a corner, then that's, you'll keep more speed. Um, but if you're descending hard, like that's, that's more than likely not going to be, not going to be possible. So, um, <clears throat> so we kind of covered, uh, we kind of covered outside the inside, but just reiterate that you should, you should cut the tangent. Uh, you should make that, make that turn where you, uh, where you cut the apex of the turn and, you know, I think that you hit the if you hit the apex a little bit on the on the late side, um, that's a better turn than than coming in. If you come in early on the corner, that's really bad because then you could be coming in too fast and you could end up in the other lane. So I think better to hit the turn too late rather than too too soon. Um, this is kind of moving up to two hundred one, but uh, I do something that's called counter steering. And I find this to be uh, pretty useful. Basically, what counter steering is is uh, you're actually focusing on keeping the bike more upright. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, you're focusing on keeping your body more upright, and you're you're leaning the bike more. So usually, what this takes is that you're pushing on the the inside handlebar a little bit more than you think is necessary, and you kind of lean that bike over, keep your body a little bit more upright. Um, and so this is kind of the opposite of what you would see like a motorcycle racer doing. Like they're keeping the bike upright and they're like leaning their body like way over if you ever watch them on TV or whatnot. So, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm a big fan of counter steering. Um, you know, it's all to a degree. Like uh, obviously your, your body and your bike are going to both lean over somewhat. It's just um, exaggerating um, exaggerating the, the bike being leaned over a little bit. So when I get people to do this, they feel more in control and they can, they can cut a harder turn for whatever reason. And I think it's just because of the, the sensation of leaning your, your body over feels, um, strange and like you're out of control. But if you're upright and you lean the bike over, you know, it doesn't seem that bad and, and you feel like you just feel more stable. So 
So that's counter steering. That's kind of a kind of a two hundred one sort of uh, sort of deal. Um, obviously, doing this via podcast, um, you know, it's not it's not exactly maybe the best format because you'd you'd like to be seeing a lot of this stuff visually. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll probably write something up and uh, include it with the blog post where I post this uh, uh, this podcast, and I'll try to include some documents if I can find something good. Um, so wet versus dry handling uh i guess this is something to address so your handling is going to be way worse when it's wet outside um also something that you probably um you know wouldn't necessarily pick up just by driving a car but yeah your handling is way more sketchy um in the wet than in the dry so you have to back it way off in the wet um, the worst case scenario is if it's been dry for a long time and then it just starts raining, basically. Um, that's when the most oils are on the road and they've kind of, you know, just come to the surface of the road and it's going to be the most slick. So um, kind of the best road uh, is one that's probably existed for a while, but it's still in pretty condition, pretty good condition. Like a brand new paved road can be pretty slick because it's too smooth and uh, like a an old very choppy road um obviously there's just not as much pavement for the tires to grip in that case if you're kind of going over a bunch of wavy pavement so that's not ideal either so you kind of have to assess okay what are the road conditions what's the pavement like um is there going to be any like moss down or leaves or anything like that and you know that's all going to affect the way that you're you're cornering in the wet um but basically you know like a lot of this stuff um about cutting a hard line like it goes out the window a little bit like you still want to um, obviously go outside to inside and and keep the outside pedal down and um, but you're just taking things way easier and you're you're consciously trying to back off in, in wet weather so you'd be surprised how hard you can cut a cut a turn in in the wet like it's going to take quite a bit to to totally wash out like your front and your rear tire just slide out um, you know that's only happened to me a handful of times but uh but it is way more likely than in the dry so so there you go something to go practice on your own um and then we've got the whole thing because you know i'm racing triathlon and coaching a lot of triathletes is that uh just a tri bike does not handle as well as a road bike and you know I've just never felt that the handling on a on a tri bike is quite right. <laughs> There's not as much weight over the rear tire. Um, you know, you feel more front heavy, and so when you're going downhill, it feels like there's just a ton of weight on the front front wheel and not enough weight on the rear wheel. And so, if you lean your butt back, if it's possible, to lean your butt back a little bit um, before you take the corner um, on your triathlon bike. I feel like this will help. Um, you know, the, the tri bikes are just tricky. You, you just can't corner as hard. So, you know, like whatever you can do on your road bike, um, on drop handlebars, like you're not going to be able to do as much, uh, on a tri bike. And there are a couple ways that you can, you can kind of mitigate the problems here. Um, so one thing, uh, that I mentioned to pretty much everybody is that you should absolutely not get the type of handlebar that's just like flat on the top. And for that, I mean like the cow horn, like the wide position on a tri bike, and also the aero bar. I mean, you don't want to be screaming down a downhill at 40 miles an hour 
and then hit a bump and then have your hand fly off uh, the front of the handlebar. And that's, you know, that's probably what will happen with some of these uh, bars that are coming out these days that just have no curvature to them to kind of like cradle your hand. Um, so for some reason, manufacturers started designing their aero bars like this. And um, in a lot of cases, it doesn't put you in a very good position on the cow horn. Uh, so a lot of times it puts you like kind of the same height on the cow horn as it, as it does on the aero bar. And that's totally wrong. The cow horns should sit a little bit lower than the arrow bar for mo for most people and you're going to find it most comfortable so if you look at like people that time trial in the olden days and they have kind of the cow horn designed um the wider bar you know where your brakes are um that should that should kind of there should kind of be like a like a curvature angle to that where you put your hand and that's going to prevent your hand from coming off the front of the bike like when you're descending if you hit like a pothole or something it's also going to make you feel way more stable. Um, then if you're descending in the arrow bars, obviously you want an upturn in the arrow bars. So those are generally called a J-bend arrow bar. Um, you know, if you have like a straight bar that just comes out and it's a sto totally straight, you know, two tubes and armrests, uh, that's going to be, uh, the that's going to give you the least amount of you know, something to grab onto, and S-Bend's gonna give you a little bit more, but you really wanna seek out um, a J-Bend aero bar as well, and I think you'll feel way more comfortable and like way more secure at high speed um, on an aero bar like that, so. And I don't see any reason why people started designing the aero bars like that. I mean, some people said that you can generate more force on an S-Bend, I don't know. I think I'm calling BS on that. I don't think that's actually true. I think it looks really sexy in a magazine to have like an, an arrow bar like that. Like it looks really fast, but it's toad. The functionality is like, you know, 50% of the old design. So do yourself a favor, get a J-Bend arrow bar and um, just make sure there's a good amount of drop between your cow horn and, and the arrow bar. Uh, if they're at the same level, it's, it's not going to be as comfortable. It's not ideal. So um, so that can help out with, with your handling on the TT bike for sure. Um, you know, I believe that's all I have for you on the, on the handling with the, uh, with the tri bikes. Um, so let's see, let's move on to, uh, we do have a review. So I was able to, uh, get a hold of one of the Hube, uh, it's spelled H-U-U-B, uh, wetsuits. And there's a little coaches program, so I was able to get a pretty good deal on one. And it's kind of one of those things where you can try it out for a while, you can return it, get your money back, or you can keep it. So I was like, oh, that sounds pretty sweet. So I can basically run this wetsuit into the ground and then return it. <laughs> I like that. So <clears throat> I got the Hub uh, Arios uh, wetsuit. And uh, that's, that's second from top of the line. It's, uh, let's see, the, the nicest one is the Archimedes, I think. I'm on their website right now. Yes, yeah, so the nice one is the Archimedes. And then I got the Arius, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So that's second to top of the line. And there's kind of this new um, style of wetsuit that's coming out. And, and Hube is, is one of those brands. The other one's Roka. And... Uh, their whole concept is that you don't need all that weight up in the front um, of the wetsuit because uh, you don't need a ton of buoyancy up there. That's just going to 
you know deprove your uh, your body position in the water and so they're starting to do a lot less neoprene like in the arms especially and so that's supposed to help you know you have a better uh, more natural feeling arm movement and not get as much of the arm uh, soreness and shoulder soreness that you usually get with a traditional wetsuit so um, so yeah that's kind of the idea and I don't know I mean it seems like on the arms the neoprene is maybe only one millimeter thick and uh, <clears throat> I got the one like like Hube even has a couple different versions like if you're if you're a good swimmer and you have really good body position you get the 4-4 uh, neoprene so it's like four millimeters like up towards the chest I think and it's four millimeters in the legs um, so the one that I got is the 3-5 so it would be thinner material up in the chest and then like in the legs and the hips it's going to be five mil so that's supposed to improve your body position um, quite a bit and like I said like Roka is doing something similar here and um, they're just finding that you don't need all that all that buoyancy up front and you'll get a better body position with uh with more material in the back and kind of like just changing the changing where the neoprene is distributed really so um i first got it on and the first thing that happened was the uh the collar tour <laughs> so i didn't even get to go for my first swim in my air in my areas and I don't know why, but Hube decided not to reinforce the collar um, on the Arios. And so if you go to their website, you can kind of see it's just like, it's just neoprene around the collar and it's not like folded over or anything like every other wetsuit manufacturer does. Um, so I find that to be a design flaw. Um, I don't know why you would have not like reinforced the neoprene right there because there's a fair amount of tension on it when you try to remove the wetsuit. And I, I wasn't like exiting a race or anything. I wasn't trying hard to get it off at all. And it, it tore at the collar. So, um, so if you do buy one, you got to watch out for that. Make sure that the warranty is good and whatever. Um, I did find that it did do what they said it would do once I got my replacement uh, wetsuit I had to like send in the, a brand new wetsuit with a torn collar and get another one like immediately so it does do what they say it will do um, your arms feel more free uh, it feels more it just feels more like you're in the pool with this wetsuit and so you can kick uh, your arms feel more normal um, like it does in in, in the pool uh, yeah, and it really feels like your kick is actually doing something for you. With uh, some of the other wetsuits, it feels like you're just kind of kicking at the air. So I'm not sure if this translates into a faster wetsuit necessarily, at least for me. Maybe it does for a better swimmer. But for me, my, my kick sucks anyway, so to be able to use my kick more doesn't really do a lot. Um, so anyway, I've been kind of running the timer with my Garmin uh, 910 XT and uh trying to compare the times for like average average swims for for times and i realized with the garmin 9 and 10 xt it's probably not super accurate but over the long haul over like an entire swim i think it's pretty good um but it's when you if you try to time like 100 meters with the with that garmin it's it's going to be useless but you know you collect enough data points over like an hour or more and it's going to be pretty good so 
I have not gone for a swim and haven't had it be like blazing more fast than any of my other wetsuits. So I can't tell you that it will actually make you faster, but perhaps if you have a good kick and you're able to utilize the kick in the, in the heat wetsuit, it will. Um, it might make you a better swimmer just by virtue of you can actually swim more normally uh, in open water. And so if you rack up a lot of open water miles like me, uh, then your you know your opportunity opportunity to use your kick is just going to be enhanced. So, so that's my review of the hub Arios. I'd probably give it I don't know three out of five or something. So, um, <clears throat> so that's just about all I have for you. Hopefully next time we'll have uh, have Andrew Fast on the show. Um, maybe Jack Toland will be next, but probably Andrew. And uh, just thanks for listening. And so this is the Northwest Race Report for, uh, well, we're not really dating these. It's June 13th today. Um, so be safe out there. Um, I was out riding the other day, saw a lot of people rocking no helmet. I don't know what the deal is with that, but please, please uh, wear your helmet out there. Uh, in King County, where I live, it is the law. So um, be safe, ride safe, and train safe.